Hello, and welcome to the First Time Founders Podcast, the show where we talk about what it really takes to build a business from nothing into something. Today, I'm very excited that we're speaking to Matthew Dasher-Hughes. Matthew's the international director at a disruptive, fast-growing law firm called Gunner Cook. But I first met him when he was chief operating officer at Ryman Stationers, the national retail chain. Matthew was one of my very first customers at Yapster, our B2B SaaS messaging software business. Um, and in this interview, Matthew talks about actually how I reached out to him cold, why he listened to me, why he took the first call, and why ultimately he trusted, um, he put his trust in me to to make Ryman a customer of Yapster and co-develop the platform with us in, in our very earliest days. Matthew's a business coach as well as an accomplished executive director. And so this conversation is littered with useful advice for business executives of all stripes, but with a particular bias towards helping founders on their journey, particularly in those awkward early days. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Matthew Dasher-Hughes. Matthew, welcome to the First Time Founders Podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. Rob, it's absolutely fantastic to see you again. <laughs> yeah, we go way back and we're going to get into that. Before we dive straight into our, to our greatest hits, um, would you mind just summarising your career journey to here, sort of starting with what you're doing now and then working back, and then we'll start talking about your various interactions with entrepreneurs. Sure. Okay. So what I'm doing now, I'm currently the international director and a business coach uh, working for a challenger law firm called Gunner Cook, which is a revenue share model working in uh, the legal and professional services space. Um, currently on a global rollout strategy, um, which uh, means that we, uh, whilst we have 330 plus uh, partners in the UK, uh, we've now got uh, nearly 20 in Germany and um, just about to take our fourth on in the US. Um, so we are we are on a, a big march globally with the, with with our rollout. Um, how did I get into that? It's a long and checkered past. Uh, during during which at some point our paths crossed, of course. Um, I started out uh, working for a small local off-license chain of all things. How the heck do you get from alcohol to, to legal services and 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 the law? Um, but uh, yeah, basically that was a franchise chain. Um, I led a management buyout of that chain in. Um, the early 2000s um, and a, a management managing director there for 12 and a half, 13 years, something like that. Uh, I then went on and did a turnaround project for a, a company called Cost Cutter. I then did a, um, a, I was a chief operating officer for Ryman Stationery uh, for four and a half years, which is where you and I first met. Um, I ran a coaching and training business working with a lot of uh, SMEs um, founders, dare I say, very important for the conversation that you and I are going to be having this morning, um, and re really working with business startups, scale-ups, hyper-growth businesses, businesses that were going through a, a level of challenge that needed to turn around, um, all of the kind of typical problems that, um, that businesses and business owners face, whether it's um, how to um, position a product, how to price a product or service, uh, because it's even more difficult sometimes or perceived to be more difficult when it's intangible rather than tangible, how to um, scale up effectively, how to um, go through that whole process of hiring uh, and locating great quality people who can be in your team, how to then lead those people in a way that actually empowers them to be the best they can be and also um, make some money doing it along the way because it's 
not not cheap employing people. Um, it's a, it should be an investment. There should be a return, but it, it can also be um, if you get it wrong, it can be a very very painful experience um, financially and and emotionally. Um, and yeah, basically, if, if there's if there's a problem out there, probably over the course of the last. 25 something years I've probably encountered it somewhere along the way um, and and maybe I've tripped over it a few times myself and uh, earned my own scar tissue along the way as well because I'm not I'm not saying I've done everything right all the time in fact it's probably the scar tissue that I've learned from most was that a potted enough history for you uh, fantastic there's so many different areas we can dive into from there you've clearly worked with all different sorts of founders Let's just begin by talking about kind of supply chain founders. Of course, I was a supply chain software founder. So why don't, why don't we start there? We can dive a bit more into our history. Can you remember why you gave me and Yapster that initial chance? And as you know, I'm very thick-skinned and the people that are listening either should be thick-skinned or if they're not, they're going to need to get thick-skinned pretty quickly. So, you know, definitely don't need to uh, to save me any blushes. Can, can, can you like project back to 2016, 17 and why you gave us a chance? Yeah, actually, I can remember the call very, very vividly. Firstly, um, newsflash, everybody, cold calls work. Um, if you do them well, they, <laughs> they work, because Rob Cole called me. Uh, I was chief operating officer uh, at uh, Ryman Stationery at the time, and um, I, I was working uh, a lot of hours, as uh, anybody who runs a business knows, you know, you do, you do tend to work quite a lot of hours. Uh, I was time poor, like like most people are. Um, but Rob's um, initial pitch to me was very much a, uh, it was a very genuine, very authentic, um, listen, I, I, you, you probably get a dozen phone calls every single day. Um, and, you know, there's lots of people you don't know phone you and try to sell you stuff. Um, and I'm phoning you out of the blue, so I probably sound like just another one of those. Um, I'm actually just asking you, I'm just genuinely asking you for your help. I'm in the middle of developing this thing. I, I kind of don't know what direction I'm going in uh, because I don't know what I don't know. But you do know it because of what you do for a living. Could I possibly prevail upon you for like five, ten minutes of your time? I just really, really want to just pick your brains. Uh, I promise you I won't waste your time. I'm going to ask you insightful questions. And you might tell me something that means that I don't waste a load of money. And it was a real, I'm not going to get that word for word because that was, that was a long time ago, but it was something like that. And it was such a genuine outreach that there was no part of my human brain that was ever going to say no to that because it was so genuine. It was so real. Um, and he was as good as his word. That's the other thing is um, if you're going to say that you're not going to try and pitch something on the back of it, you don't, you know, it's not a sales conversation. It's a, it's a genuine kind of, it, it's a collaboration. So it's the start of building that trusted relationship. Um, so there's a thing, uh, I don't know if you've ever read a book called uh, The Trusted Advisor by David Meister. In there, he talks about a thing called the trust equation, where he tries to, to some extent, articulate what the prerequisites are for trust to exist within a relationship. So if you take T, the letter T to be trust, um, T equals C plus R plus I over SO. So what does that mean? So C is credibility. So credibility is I know what I'm talking about, or at least, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm credible up to the point that I need to be credible uh, in terms of my levels of expertise and everything else. Plus R, what's R? Reliability. Reliability is I do what I say I'm going to do when I say I'm going to do it. So I keep my promises, basically. Um, plus I, what is I? It's intimacy. Intimacy is about vulnerability-based openness. It's that ability to go into a relationship with your soft underbelly exposed and say oh, so true. Things, that, things that are apparently not in your own best interest. 
you know, that, that's the least salesy kind of pushy approach you could possibly take. And if you've got those three sitting above the denominator line, then, you know, you, you're already into a very good place to create the environment in which trust can exist. SO, what does that stand for? It stands for self-orientation. So this is the big divider. If you look like you have selfish self-interest above anything else, then it will undermine and divide any attempt you have to build trust because it's going to start to look cynical. It's going to start to look inauthentic. I would say to build on that equation, take out that self-orientation piece. And as a multiplier, you could put BOI, benevolence of intent, because if you have the other person's best interest at heart, then that is a multiplier for that credibility, reliability, and intimacy that you build. And you did all of that instantly on that call. I was going to ask Matthew, can you give an example without naming any names of what lacking all of those characteristics looks, sounds like, feels like? Um, Because I'm going to talk about the difference between being like super early stage in a startup in a moment, which is when it gives you the chance to do genuine customer discovery where you haven't built enough yet that you can legitimately change your vision to fit this new potential customer. You clearly can't do that as when you get later on. So we'll talk about the difference between day one selling and scale up selling. But before we go into that, because I want people to, it's very kind of you to say what you said about me, but I want them to be able to observe patterns in their own behavior if they kind of meet the anti-profile. So can you just describe the anti-profile before we move on? Sure, absolutely no problem at all. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it or describe it with an example that everybody, <laughs> everybody has experienced. You know it yourself. Now, if, if you if you've ever sort of read anything like Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss or anything, you know that you've got it's a great book. Isn't it? Isn't it a terrific book? Love that. Great stories in there. Um, you've got between four and seven seconds to instantaneously build trust with somebody, um, or at least to not lose their trust for the the shutters to not come slamming down. Um, you know, right? This person's out to get me. They're out for themselves, and you know it immediately. The minute that somebody, a complete stranger, comes on the phone to you and says, oh, hi, how are you today? With that little quaver in their voice, that little kind of, you know, I don't really want to be making this call. I'm a little bit scared because there's somebody frightening at the other end of the telephone. You can sort of hear that waver, that sort of, um, I don't really deserve to be here. And it's inauthentic. And you know that what they're going to do is just try and sell you their, you know, whatever, whatever kind of crap they're going to try and hawk on you. Forgive the phraseology. Um, <laughs> but is that, hi, how are you today? Uh, if you take the initials of that, how are you today? H-A-Y-T. It spells out hate. It's a hate crime. Don't do it. You know, it's, it's awful. It's, it's just, you know, you don't know me. You don't care how I am today, except in the broadest sense of that you hope that no other human beings are li- living a miserable life. You know, it's just, it's nonsense. <laughs> it's the worst, but it's the worst form of garbage. So the first thing to do is if you're going to show up with the right sort of uh, approach is show up with the right mindset. And the other, uh, the mindset is, look, I'm interrupting somebody's day here, but I really do need to feel, you know, that I'm getting some good information here. And, and actually, I'm not going to waste their time. You know, their, their time is valuable. Time is their one non-renewable resource, as it is mine as well. Let's not waste their time. Let's get on the phone with the mindset that this is going to be an interesting conversation between two people of equal business stature, of at least, you know, equal intellectual capability. Um, it's a genuine meeting of minds. And if it's not, well, you know what? It's one of those things that's going to last maybe 30 seconds of my life. So as far as I know, nobody's ever died from a phone call. Should be yeah. okay with that one. You know? So actually, I don't and you're, and you're not trying to persuade them at that point, right? That's your point. Because what you're saying is if you connect and there's nothing there, 
you respectfully leave the call. You don't that, you don't destroy the relationship trying to persuade them in the first minute. Correct. Exactly that. You know, it, it, you know, the minute you start trying to hawk something or push something or push an agenda, you've got to turn up there with a real kind of open mind with, mm. okay, yes, I've got certain things that I would like to get out of this call, but I don't even know whether or not this person's going to be able to help me, whether they've got time to help me, they've got the inclination to help me. You know, and so so all you can do is be, you know, super honest. And I talk I talk about disarming honesty. It's not, it's not the same as honesty because honesty is uh, I'm, I'm developing a project. Um, honesty is I really believe in it. I'm passionate about it. It gets me out of bed in the morning. Honesty is uh, when I lie awake at night uh, thinking about things, I'm typically thinking about this product because I'm very excited about it. You know, all of those things are honest, <laughs> but they don't care because it's about you. The only thing they really yeah. care about is what's going on in their world. And you've got to get that connection before you can actually earn the right, you know, try and be interested in them before you can be interesting to them, you know? So it's that initial connection that you've got to get. And, that, and that's really sort of the art of the phone call, I would say. It's, it's so true. It's interesting, actually. I, I suspect it was easier for me because I didn't come from a professional sales background. Um, because I didn't come from a professional sales background, I'd never been taught kind of classic pushy sales methodologies um, I'm sure you can bias too far the other way. I, I'm a reformed reformed lawyer. Interesting that you've landed in an innovative law firm. Uh, lots of people talked about being innovative lawyers when I was a lawyer, but there were very few of them around. But so I, I almost had to fight against going too far the other way and being so apologetic that it went past being disarming and went into being like faintly tragic. <laughs> but I'm actually glad I didn't come to it with lots of hardcore sales experience that was developed in mature markets which is totally different in an immature. So would you mind, Matthew, if we jump into that point then, as, as um, have you seen, how do you distinguish the difference between a very, uh, like very early stage entrepreneurial selling and kind of scale up selling? Have you ever thought about that much? I mean, I certainly haven't. We can talk about it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm happy to sort of riff together. That's, that's a really, really interesting distinction. Um, I guess the, the key thing here is that if you're going to be in any space in B2B at any stage, whether it's setup, startup, scale up, um, hyper growth, or even steady state, to some extent, um, there are some common elements of DNA in the approach, which is that it's about building a transformational relationship because you're asking, to some extent, you're, you're asking them to trust you to come on a journey with them and to change their behaviors. Because really, that is what B2B sales is. It's about are you prepared to believe in what I'm telling you enough that you're prepared to change the way in which you act day to day? Um, so whether it's a product or it's a, um, you know, it's a, it's a, a, a selling methodology or it's a, um, you know, even it's a new risk management system or something like that. It doesn't really matter. Ultimately, the success or failure of it is not to do with the initial belief in the product or service. It's not to do with the system itself or how good or bad it is. Although those things are important, the success or failure more often than not lands with the client company as to how well they implement it. So to some extent, we are agents of change. And so when you are going through that journey, when you're in that initial setup thing, the agency of change, you know, the, the message is slightly different, which is, you know, I'm, I'm right at the beginning of this journey. I'm looking for people who've got a similar level of uh, entrepreneurial flair to me um, to be in at the ground floor on this thing to, you know, to help me to build the plane whilst I'm trying to fly it. 
um, you know, to, do, to do that whole kind of initial piece, which is really exciting. You know, I'm keeping my overheads low. I'm keeping my own personal energy levels high. You know, I, I've got a great uh, life right now because I've made the choice to kind of work for myself, which means I'm working for the most unreasonable boss I've ever worked for. Um, and I've got a great <laughs> to work for whichever 18 hours a day I choose, you know, and that's that's the kind of the founder journey right at the very beginning. And you kind of want your early clients to kind of buy into that and to almost accept that there will be shortcomings in the service or product that you provide early doors. So a lot of the transparency and the disarming honesty is really around that to start with. So that true. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean that that disarming honesty and that transparency is less important in later phases of your journey. It's just it changes. It just changes what it is you're saying. So as you get into the more the um, the, the scale up side of things, you're, you're now starting to talk about the uh, exciting growth side of things, and you know you're, you're looking at a much more organised development pattern. And you know here are the things that our current clients are really benefiting from. You're starting to build case studies. You're starting to build testimonials. So the credibility part of it is less vested in your own personal passion and belief, and more vested in um, client testimonials and so forth. So the messaging changes slightly, but. The actual process doesn't, not particularly. You've still got to have that trust. You've still got to have that trusted advisor status. That bonding and rapport is critical. You've still got to manage expectations. Uh, and a critical part of that is giving the other person, I mentioned equal business stature earlier on. And a critical part of this is to make sure that both of you have got this explicit power of veto so that you both have this internalized locus of control, which gives you psychological safety. Sorry, I'll say that again with my teeth in. It gives you both psychological safety, which means that yeah. if you both say no to something, you can both walk away from it, which means that fundamentally they don't ever feel pressured into this relationship it is exactly that it's a relationship it's equals so you know you, you kind of agreed up front look if this is not right for you that's fine it's not right for everybody we recognize that you know uh, we, we will we'll walk away we'll part company as friends you know we'll shake hands it's not going to be that kind of coercive relationship where you know you, you feel like there's a, a pushy salesperson who with commission breath uh, putting your arm up your back and the other hand into your into your wallet I love how articulate you are about this stuff because it's funny. I've gone through a lot of the journey that you're describing. I just didn't know that I was going through it when I was going through it and didn't understand. I mean, I struggled with the transition from early stage to early maturity because I, I got very used to giving early customers everything they want. Like it was a service offer when it was a product offer. You can't change a product for every customer like you can to some extent change a service. And I really struggled with setting the right expectations at the beginning because I genuinely wanted to give every customer a truly tailored experience. And it took a lot to learn to kind of optimize for the average and then give people exceptional experience by making sure they're the right fit for that kind of, that, that template almost. Um, it, it took me a while to get there. You've clearly been a customer at kind of all stages of the entrepreneurial journey. Is there any kind of method to when you decide to be a late adopter, early majority, bleeding edge, early adopter or something? Does it depend on the risk profile of the product or service or is it really just timing and whether you like the founder? Uh, all of the above, sadly, I can't give you a straight answer to that one. It, it kind of depends on the business need and and uh, and what the prevailing conditions are at that time, um, what the risk reward profile looks like of that individual um, opportunity. If it is an opportunity, is it a risk? Um, to some extent, there's a cultural element as well. You know how 
um, open is the business to investing in that kind of leading edge side of things? I mean, you mentioned the wonderful word innovation earlier on, which is one of those words that <laughs> around an awful lot and, and misunderstood an awful lot. But the business I work in right now, and you, you, you've, you've come across our founders in your um, history, so you know these are people who genuinely mean it when they talk about innovation. Um, yeah, they're brilliant. But they also come from, they've, they've got pedigree as well that gives them the kind of the right to innovate. They're not like these mad new market entrants that want to disrupt the legal sector without understanding it. A hundred percent. Absolutely right. I mean, you're coming from, you know, big, big name law firms, that background, that pedigree, as you rightly put it. Um, and then approaching it with, with a really clear, fresh set of eyes and saying, here is what's wrong, not just from the point of view of the sector as a whole, but looking at it, why, why is it that some people are unhappy? not just um, clients, although that's rather important, but also lawyers as well. And, and is there potentially some sort of a link between those two things? You know, you've got really unhappy lawyers <laughs> who are being driven by compensation packages and everything else to, to behave in certain ways. And then you've got unhappy clients. Could there possibly be a causal link between those two things? <laughs> um, so, you know, so, so the, 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 the writing's there on the wall for those people who want to see it and who, have, who are smart enough to read it. Um, but very few people having read that writing would then actually think about what to do with it and to turn that into some form of behavior. And that's where innovation lies. And, and, and you know, we talk about this stuff a lot more than people actually do it. Um, and so, you know, the truly innovative founder is quite a rare beast in a lot of ways. Um, so it's more often that you find somebody who's a founder who has to some extent adapted an idea rather than truly innovated. That doesn't make it a bad idea. and It doesn't make them any less of a worthwhile investment of time, effort, money, energy, and passion than somebody who's a true innovator. Um, it means that they're probably more commonplace, as I say, but it doesn't mean that they're any, any less, um, less worthy um, because anybody who started a business ever, frankly, um, deserves a medal because it's an extraordinary <laughs> tough thing to do. And, and anybody who's ever kind of done it knows and they've got that thousand yard stare, you know, the, the, the ones, you don't know, man, you weren't there. <laughs> it, I, do, I do feel like I'm, I'm, I'm 40, but I sound like a Vietnam veteran when I'm talking to sort of aspiring entrepreneurs. I, I tried not to, but you're right. It, it changes you. I am, Matthew, are there, this has been a really uplifting, positive conversation for, for aspiring founders. And I suspect even entrepreneurial early adopter types within corporates are more likely to be customer side. Are there downsides to dealing with founders? There must be. Um, are there downsides to dealing with them? I, I guess um, sometimes it's when you've got a real passion for a product or a service, um, it makes you blind to the realities of the customer's actual requirements. Um, and it makes you overestimate and overreach in terms of what the product or service that you are passionate about actually might deliver. And that's probably yeah, that's so true. That's probably the biggest one. And, and you look at it from a client's side point of view. And uh, the tough question you've got to ask yourself is always, so what? You know, it's, it's the, if the client, you know, you, you put yourself in the shoes of the client. If the client can't answer the question, so what about your product or service, then fundamentally you haven't got a product or service. And that's the toughest thing to, it's the hardest pill to swallow, but it's also the most I, I really, I really struggled with that. Really struggled with that. I projected so much of my own aspirations onto, onto the sectors that we were serving that I didn't really listen to what they needed and were culturally a good fit for yeah 
and and that's that is just the most common thing so so what i would the best advice i can say to avoid those things because you know we are talking about having a solutions focus here and a bit of a positive mindset on how do we avoid those kinds of pitfalls those traps those blind spots and it is really about asking yourself questions so um the first question is always you know who is my client um and what matters to them in their world you know you're, you might be selling a, a product or a service. Let's say you're doing a SaaS product, which is um, to assist with uh, internal messaging in a highly, um, you know, moderatable, if that's even a word, way uh, that allows you a level of control over it. So it's got all of the best aspects of like the WhatsApps and the and the Facebooks of this world, mm-hmm. uh, but with the added uh, benefit that you can actually control it within your business ecosystem. Um, and uh, and and you can then sort of configure it to uh, to be able to do multiple things within your uh, with, within your sort of uh, disparate and uh, geographically uh, widespread workforce. I'm plucking I'm plucking that out of thin air as a hypothetical example. <laughs> it's definitely nothing like the uh, the product that you uh, that you brought to us <laughs> at that time. <laughs> in um, but yeah, basically, if you've got that, then you've got to look at it from the point of view of what matters to this business because they don't have a communication problem. They have a number of business problems within their ecosystem to which uh, a communication solution may be the part or the whole of the solution. So you've got to fit within a wider business ecosystem uh, and your your product Mm. or service has got to fit within that hand in glove. Um, And frankly, the pain of behavioral change has got to be less than the, uh, the return on the investment so basically, it's got to be at least as easy to, 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 to do it as it is to not do it. You've got to, you know, from their point of view, they've got to be looking at this and go, OK, it's, it's easy to adopt. It's straightforward. So the capability of adopting it's really high. The behavioral change piece is kind of baked into it. It's really straightforward. Uh, adoption should be really easy uh, across all of the uh, stakeholders and all of the users in, the, in, in, the, in, my, in my business. Um, the the actual financial investment looks sensible. I can see what the return on investment looks like. They've got to be able to join those dots super easy. And if you can't join those dots in your head, then sure as hell they're not going to. So so the really important thing is that you don't ever forget that so what question. And you can't answer that unless you understand them. Well, you were very kind because I remember back in the day, you, and I'm sure you remember this, or you'd be too humble to say it. You actually led me to one of our cornerstone integration partnerships, which helped us pass that. So what? And it's interesting. Because, so I'm sorry, I stopped speaking in riddles for listeners that don't know. So Yapster was a standalone mobile messaging service that was exactly what Matthew just described, um, like secure GDPR compliant messaging for organizations that where they don't want to pay for corporate email or Teams licenses for all colleagues. Typically, 80% of people working in a frontline organization don't have a Microsoft license, right? So those people use WhatsApp or posters instead. So the App Store was designed to fill that gap. The problem was, standing alone, it didn't solve any business problems, as Matthew's just describing, right? So what Matthew suggested we do is he he introduced me to their um, corporate intranet provider to see if there was a way to integrate so that we could enrich the functionality of one of their core vendors to... um, to provide sort of integrated mobile messaging. And Matthew, you know what's interesting? You and I haven't talked about this, but as I reflect back, now that Yaps has been acquired by Sona, which of course is an end-to-end um, people solution doing HR, scheduling, learning, and increasingly wide range of things. If I have really listened to you, I may have gone and 
rivaled a corporate intranet, then gone into rotoring, then gone into, I, we could, I think Yabsa had the potential to be sort of the system of record for a particular um, sector. But I just, I wasn't listening hard enough because I was so into this idea of sort of leadership through digital communications and being this standalone best of breed solution, which wasn't really what the, the target customers needed evidenced by Sony's success of being able to absorb us. Does that make sense? That's a brilliant takeaway. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, you know, what a level of humility as well on, on, on uh, recognizing it. But that's, the, I mean, we've all done it, haven't we? You know, we're so focused on what we see as being the end game that we're actually missing the thing that's, that, that's, that's right there that, that somebody else might be saying to us. But I love, love, love that as a takeaway. Um, and, you know, I mentioned at the, in the outset that I've probably learned more from scar tissue than I've ever learned from success. <laughs> probably a really good example of that, right? You know, it's a bit like when we um, walk, we have to fall over a few times, don't we? <laughs> It's, it's, it's funny, actually, because we, I spend so much of my spare time now working with other B2B founders, and it's crazy how simple the principles are. You know, I talk to people about message market fit, product market fit, scaling an organization. Message market fit, find two early adopters, then find eight fast followers. Then, so you've got 10. Now make six of them so successful that they'll pay more and won't let you take the product away. When you've hit that threshold, now you can start thinking about scaling an organization. It's so simple. Every time I talk to a founder, they want to skip over to talking about niche scaling issues and don't want to confront the reality of finding the right target customer and making them successful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that boring stuff, like what the customers care about. I mean, I, I want to talk to you about <laughs> amazing, my amazing piece of engineering and my wonderful piece of software. It's very, very nice. Go and play in your bedroom. Come on. Do you want to make some money or not? <laughs> Do you want to change the world or not? <laughs> it's really it's it really is. And Matthew, we're coming up on half an hour. That we could, I feel like we could go on for another hour, Joe Rogan style. But I'm conscious I need to be respectful of your time. And maybe if this podcast picks up in the way I think it's going to, we'll be able to lure you back. Are you? Do you ever do any sort of coaching outside of Gunner Cook now, or, or, or not? I mean, how how can people get more of your content if if they want to, either one to one or on a one to many basis? Oh, that's, that's really nice of you to ask. Yeah, no, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I put a lot of content out on LinkedIn. I also have a Substack. Um, if you haven't come across Substack yet, it's a platform for uh, content producers. Um, you'll find probably your favorite writers and things on there as well as me. Most um, of I'm not putting myself in the favorite writer category quite yet. Um, I'm, I'm very often uh, to be found uh, doing um, you know some kind of a podcast or, or something with, with people like your good self who are kind enough to invite me along. So if, if uh, what I've been talking about today is of any interest to you, that, then uh, there aren't too many Matthew Dashford Hugheses out there. Um, but the, the only other Dashford Hughes out in, in the world, as far as I'm aware, is my wife. So you know you'll be able to you'll be able to track me down pretty easily. And I'll put your links in, in the show notes because I'm sure there'll be people who want to follow up. Ma Matthew, thank you for being so generous with your time and insight as ever. This has been wonderful. I'm looking forward to next time. Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure seeing you again. Thanks so much for having me on.